Welcome to the Jesus, Sex, and Politics podcast. I'm Micah. And I'm Nathan. And here we talk about all those things culture doesn't want to talk about. That'll scare you. Hey, Nathan, how you doing today? I'm doing well, man. How you doing? Good, good. We've got a, got, we've, you know, we've had some really good guests on recently, and, and today is not going to disappoint. We've got another great because guest. Because we don't disappoint we here don't. on Jesus, Sex, and Politics. It's a, it's a non-disappointing podcast. That's what <laughs> I think that's our tagline. It should <laughs> no, be our tagline. Wow, proud to be a part of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we haven't, whoa, hold on a second there, guy. We haven't even introduced you yet. No one knows who that is. <laughs> No, on the phone, we have a great guest. Uh, he is a senator from uh, up in my kind of college neck of the woods where I went to uh, up in Huntington. Uh, he's a state senator, Senator Andy Zay. Thanks for joining Good us. Good to senator. have you. How you doing? Great. Awesome to be on the uh, podcast of non-disappointment. Uh, that's how I like to start every one of my things. That's awesome. I was trying not to disappoint. Hey, so as a fellow uh, Huntingtonian, uh, you know, you're, you're up in Huntington, Indiana. Uh, I, I have to ask you a question that I ask everyone who uh, has lived in Huntington or is around that area. Um, have you ever gone to the Dan Quayle Vice Presidential Museum? Absolutely. I've taken um, classes there over the years, um, some fourth grade classes and uh, been through there. And then um, on some community events, they've actually hosted some things there and, uh, uh, Dan was actually back this summer and uh, took a tour of it himself. Um, wow. Is he st- he's still alive? <laughs> I hope he's not listening. Yeah. Uh, Him uh, and Ben and Tucker and uh, Maryland are alive and well in Arizona. I okay. think the boys are still out there. I mean, they're of age now. Uh, um, so, but... Uh, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're alive and doing well. That's cool. So, yeah. Nathan, I read his book. Uh, yeah, his book after after he was done being vice president, and it was excellent. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Did you know that he's from Huntington, Indiana? Oh, I didn't know he was from there, but yeah. I, I mean, I knew he was Hoosier. Yeah, yeah, so that's... Uh, but- that was my name growing up. So my uh, the Quails lived right down the street from my family when they lived in town, and then um, Jim and Corinne Quail moved out the country a little ways, and then shortly after, my parents built a house right across the street from them. So um, Jim Quayle was, of course, our newspaper publisher here at the Herald Press for many, many moons. Their family owned it. And um, then um, as the kids came along, his kids were, the little Dan and um, the other Quayle kids were a little bit older, but um, some of my older brothers and sisters knew him. And then it's when he ran for Congress, my um, next oldest sister babysat uh, Benjamin and Tucker as he was uh, on the road and doing what he needed to do to get elected. And so, yeah, we are quite fond of the Coil family and uh you know they're more than uh you know political uh mentors for me but uh really just family friends obviously they've fallen out of touch a little bit as they've uh, moved to arizona and that but uh you know always uh thought very highly of the Coil family that's cool that's uh it's a little piece of history and i i think uh i think indiana correct me if i'm wrong nathan or or andy if you know this uh, but doesn't indiana have the most vice presidents uh come from the hoosier state out of out in the history of vice president i think that's oh that's i think a, that's, that's true a, actually I, I'll, I'll google could, that here well I, that I don't know do you know andy i need to look that up definitely and uh you know as, as i speak with you guys you know pastors and leaders as you are but uh think about being quail and all the grief he caught and he was way before his time where he said family values matter and here we are so many years later still fighting that fight yeah and and i i you know it was 
back then I was young, obviously during the Bush Quail administration. Um, but I do remember even in that moment, re- thinking to myself, the media is totally on one side of this and it's not uh-huh. on the side of conservative values. And, and I think we started to see that cancel culture media, uh, leftist, uh, ideology even back in the, in the nineties there when, uh, in the eighties and nine, well, I guess late eighties, early nineties when, when Bush and Quail were, were in office. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting you say that that certainly brings back some very personal memories because they kicked off the campaign at, uh, you know, what I've gotten a little attention for this year, uh, the famous uh, Nick's Kitchen in Huntington where the home of the breaded tenderloin. And so Dan always had a habit of going there and uh, kicking off his campaigns every year. And so with the uh, presidential campaign, it, uh, you know, that was the format they used. And so they came to Huntington and they went to Nick's and did a little private meet and greet and then went down the street to the courthouse about three blocks away. And that very scene ensued, as you, as you talked about, where, you know, they, I think they were kind of on him for his um, military service and then this family values conversation. And it, uh, it was the wrong place for the media to go after Dan Quayle. I think some of my sisters were in the front line barking right back, and uh, they were giving the media all they had. And, uh, um, you know, it persisted throughout the campaign a little bit, not as a friendly audience as you had in Huntington, Indiana. But it uh, – it was certainly a proud and exciting time um, to be able to stand up for, for one of our own when they uh, tried to attack him on the courthouse square. Yeah. Vision has to see before other people see it. And and uh, Dan Quill had the the eyes to see how saying that fathers weren't necessary with that whole thing with Murphy Brown. You know, yeah. he, he, he was able to say, this is not good. You go down this road, you're, you're opening Pandora's box, and you won't be able to put it back together again that's the thing about being a conservative and then knowing human nature as christians according to what the bible's revealed you're like this is going to go bad and it's going to go to here and then it's going to go to here and then it's going to go to here and and the thing that sucks about being a conservative is just being right all the time (laughs) (laughs) that's that's true that's uh, you know as you say that i'm thinking you know what man what i would do to have a lunch at next with dan quayle and Tony Dungy yeah. and Dan Quayle kind of sitting there saying, I told you so. Yeah. And of course, Tony be really rolling up his sleeves in a very public way now, um, you know, fighting for dad's rights and really talking about, uh, you know, that, that issue in today's, in today's world and um, himself getting, you know, publicly heckled for it. And uh, it's just uh, int- interesting times yeah. and uh, interesting reflection how the more things change, the more things stay the same. Yep, that's right. Hey, I looked up uh, while you guys were chatting there. Uh, I think New York's got us beat. I think they had 11 vice presidents. We've had uh, six so far. But I think as far as the research that I'm finding, I think we are – I don't think there's uh, there's any any more states other than that. So we have six vice presidents. Uh, New York has 11, and then and then everyone else is, is – Well, in all so. fairness, New York's been around longer. That's true. I mean, yeah, it was uh, – <laughs> They were they were there right from the get go. We we came back. Let's see. When was Indiana founded as a? Do you know when Indiana was founded uh, as a state, as a state uh, senator? It wasn't in a fort? Is it early eighteen hundreds? Eighteen sixteen. Eighteen sixteen. All right, there we go. A state senator should know that. That's awesome. Putting you on the spot there, and that's well uh, done. Yeah, clap, clap, good. clap. Yeah. So. Uh, all right. Well, hey, Senator. So um, tell us a little bit about this uh, bill that you've authored, Senate Bill three twenty one. Uh, it's we had Leah Wilson on um, last week. We just uh, put out her uh, podcast uh, 
um, yeah, last week. And, and so we, she was talking about their Stand for Health Freedom organization and how they are supporting your bill. But at first sight, it looks like not a, not a good bill. And, and, and the reason is, is because your bill would, would basically, uh, it's basically giving, some people see it as permission to put standalone, uh, health agencies within the schools. Um, and so that's kind of the first site that, that you kind of balk at that as a conservative. You say, whoa, we don't want, you know, this healthcare, uh, we're losing our healthcare freedom and we don't want some doctor giving our kid medical advice without parents being in, being present. But tell us about your bill, why it's a good bill, what it will do to help protect parental rights, uh, and why people should, should get behind something like this. Well, if you had Leah on last week, you got the B team this week, guys. Um, Leah and her partner. <laughs> are absolute rock stars and stand for health freedom part of an organization. I believe they're in, um, multiple States, maybe 17, 18 States with, uh, 22,000 advocates here within the state of Indiana that they're calling out to, at any given time to, um, stand behind and uh, support legislators, support legislation and, uh, make things happen in the right way. And that's why I have uh, really enjoyed aligning with them because they're not just, you know, they're, they're a holistic. I mean, they're looking at policy, they're working with legislators, and then they're coming and supporting us as well as we try and advocate and move our bills through committee work and through the floor. And um, they're very smart. They work very hard to um, make sure that it's fitting right in the code. And, and also listening to the challenges that we're trying to face with uh, the challenges for the state of Indiana. But to get to the details of Senate Bill 321, I've been working on the edge of this issue for many years. And uh, what I was originally trying to accomplish by some of the school-based funding, school-based health clinics and some of that thing, some of those things with IEPs and some of the programs um, that are existing in schools today, a lot of our school corporations throughout the state of Indiana are already committing hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars to providing those services. And can you, with can you that, tell us what an IEP is real quick for those who don't know what that it's is? It's an individual education plan for, um, you know, students maybe with some learning disabilities or behavioral challenges. And those are, are put together in a, in a meeting with administration um, counselors, um, the parents and the student and to figure out what uh, will be a, a, a most effective path forward in, in a growing their education and, and um, obtaining a, a degree here in Indiana. And so anyhow, there, there's a lot of resources that go into that and, um, and other programs within the schools. And the state of Indiana was only capturing about $20 million in Medicaid dollars for, to help subsidize and help those programs. And uh, I said that evil subsidy word, but uh, it, it in fact was already happening. And so then our neighboring states, Ohio, is getting over $200 million, Michigan over $200 million, Illinois over $190 million, a more rural state like Iowa still getting over $100 million. And what I was trying to respond to creatively was the big push to um, raise teacher pay in the state of Indiana. And so we are committing a lot of resources to a lot of these programs. And so I felt if we could get some funds in there, that would free up those resources to pay our teachers on a higher level and uh, meet some of the uh, challenges that we were looking at and some of the data that showed that, uh, you know, our teachers just need to be paid more. And, uh, you know, we've done, we've made great strides in that. And um, part of this um, historic legislation was to affect that. 
And so we got it in as a Bay provision. We really haven't done much with it, but it was kind of sitting on the sidelines. Well, then as the governor's health commission went around the state the last year and a half or two years, a big component of that, uh, 25% of the recommendations were in regards to education. And so I kind of resurfaced with this, connected with the folks at Stand for Health Freedom, Leah and Erica specifically, and some of their other advocates. And, um, you know, they understood where I was coming from and what we were trying to accomplish. But I think what we also understood on that was this this growing crisis we kind of have in our communities, um, certainly in our institutions like education. Um, you think about Department of Corrections, some of those other areas, and it's mental health. And, you know, what is mental health? If you have five people sitting in a room and ask them to define mental health, you're going to get five different answers. There, there isn't a lot of clarity about what that is. And so the concern is, is even with physical health and mental health, but what you're getting is this blending of healthcare and education. And what came screaming out clear to me is on a high school transcript right now in the state of Indiana, many times right on that transcript, you'll have vaccination status and maybe some other health related information. And the problem is, is once those health records cross that line into the education space, all your HIPAA protections are gone. So you've lost your um, personal private health records for your children. And, and to take that to the next level or take that I, I thought a step further, we're handing out, as, as parents, we're handing out transcripts with our kids to be admitted into higher ed as they graduate from high school, potentially to go on to jobs. And an access point they have in di- differentiating or discriminating from who they're going to admit, who they're going to hire as health records where they have vaccination status and those sorts of things. And so a big part of this bill is separating that out, keeping health records, health records, and keeping education records, education records. Obviously, if you get accepted to the university of your choice and they want to talk about those kinds of things, that can be handled through the registering process when you're registering for the school, but it shouldn't be a part of the admissions process where you're getting accepted to a school and the same thing in employment. So that was a big part of the bill. The other part of the legislation in 321 was define, kind of defining the role of a school nurse. I mean, we don't want them going too far in physical care. We don't want them going um, you know, too far, certainly in mental health care. But what that role, that kind of triage role in the first aid care that they can do. So we kind of define that, that put in the legislation. And then the other kind of more controversial thing as you kind of introduced this concept was the school-based health centers. We have 48 of them existing in the state of Indiana right now with no guardrails um, attached to them. So in essence, a kid can walk down the hall and possibly walk into a, a school-based health center, which is attached to the school. And it doesn't say whether they need to have parental consent. It doesn't say where the records need to go. It doesn't say, it, it doesn't say you know, what services they can or can't provide, whether a parent should be there. And the, the short analogy I give on this, um, yeah, I, I presume you guys are parents, Mike. I know you are. I, I'm getting in the waning days of raising five children. I've never dropped my child off to the doctor and say, hey, I'll be back and get you. <laughs> yeah, right. No yeah, that's right. You were there with the diagnosis. You were there with the plan, um, you know, what the recovery is going to be or, or what the therapy is going to be to fix a physical ailment, to fix a mental ailment, whatever, you know, you're, you're getting looked at. And so – we basically brought the common sense of that experience into these school-based health centers. 
So if a school corporation is going to have a school-based health center, you know, which can reasonably be a good access point where the kid can be there, the, the parent can come, they can convene, meet with somebody where the professional can come there and do that, that a parent needs to be present, a parent needs to sign off on any therapy, and the parent needs to follow through. And that those records need to be kept in the health domain with the health center, with that person for privacy's sake and not on the education side. And the other thing as I was working through this that came to me, last year there was a program um, on the federal government side called the Safer Communities Act. It was a response by our federal legislators into a horrific incident down in Texas. I think there was a big school shooting. And yeah, the Ugaldi, yeah, Ugaldi shootings. Yeah. Very tragic day. So they came up with the Safer Communities Act. And um, one of the big touch points in that was schools and school health systems and school health care. So I reviewed that with one of my colleagues at the federal level. And 55 times in there it mentioned school-based health, school health, something like that. And only once did it mention anything about parents or parental consent. Mm. And that was in relationship to the red flag law and the gun law portion of the bill <laughs> and had nothing to do with the health centers and that. And, and um, consistently, that's a big part of the Governor's Health Commission, as I suggested, with eight recommendations and a few of them speaking directly to this. So the reality that I think both um, Leah, Erica, and myself came to is, well, these are here now. There's kind of a promotion of it coming through legislation in the future. We need to try and get out in front of this and put some guardrails and put some guidelines in place yes. because there's a lot of pressure out there to try and make edu schools a touch point for health and uh, beyond the health class in school and really providing services. And a big part of that, of course, is mental health. And so we felt the need to bring that clarity to this arena. And that's a long discussion, a long description of what I'm trying to accomplish in Senate Bill 321. That's good. I mean, in, and to your point, it, it seems like the government continues to try to usurp the rights of parents and when it comes to the health and uh, of the child. And, and I think fundamentally, uh, Senator, you may agree with this as well, but I think there's a move to uh, – to make the children first and foremost the property of the state, and and whether or not someone is is brazen enough to say that on the other side, they probably wouldn't say that bold face right now. But that's but, absolutely what they believe in. But I think that's I mean what Hitler it, Hitler had families, you know, uh, broken up where people were were tattling on yeah, uh, you know, kids Par tattling kids on parents. the parents, right? right? And and if you read 1984, yeah, same thing. you know, same same concept. Yep. Stalin was the same way. I mean, it was uh, it was very much a part of the communist agenda. I wouldn't say it's brazen or intentional, but what I have heard multiple times, and actually has become a, a was kind of a, a theme throughout the the health commission that was uh, done over the last two years, was that parents sometimes get in the way. Parents <laughs> and some functional families get in the way of making sure a kid has access to health care, making sure a student has access to eye care, to hearing and all that kind of thing. And, um, you know, there's some inhibitions and there's some tough families out there, as you guys well know. And I think we need to treat those as the exceptions they are 
and try and find appropriate mechanisms to make sure guardians and, and others are in place and are informed. But they can't compromise the other 70 and 80% of us that, you know, have functioning families and are trying to do the right thing and support our kids and protect our kids' privacy, which is, you know, challenged constantly within this age of internet. But we still need to create those guardrails to try and do the right thing and correct and um, protect families. That's good. Well, and I, I, I think that's uh, a great approach because we want to make sure that we do take care of those who are hurting and the families that really are dropping the ball. There's got to be some sort of safety net there. But yes, it always seems like we we uh, usurp the rights of the 80 to 90 percent because of the uh, the ir- irresponsibility of the the few. And so to your point, let's make those the exception and not the rule uh, when when we're dealing with issues like this. And so I well, I appreciate what you're doing there, Senator, on on specifically on Senate Bill uh, 321. So if you're listening to this, you know, tell your and you're in Indiana, tell your state senator to support Andy Zay's uh, Senate Bill 321. I I reached out to my senator Scott Baldwin. He was uh, gave me a little pushback. I don't think he liked it a whole lot, and so I was uh, you know telling him like, hey man, I, you you're you've got to you've got to put mechanisms in to protect the family and the parent, and so uh, and and so it's sometimes uh, they don't always see it right away, but uh, keep pushing on them, and and uh, and hopefully we get something like this to put those guardrails in. We have 290 schools or school corporations in the uh, in the state of Indiana. You said, Senator, that 48 of them already have health facilities. Is that or, or uh, like a, some sort of health, uh, you know, hospital, uh, medic, medical uh, treatment center in those schools? Is that correct? Yeah, we said we have uh, defined 48 of them have some version of a school-based health center. Okay. And uh, that's trying to work to, like I say, align those and uh, fund those directly and or at the least through our state health departments or through FSSA. So there are challenges there. And and that's, you know, that's been my message to my, my leadership and my colleagues. It's like, we you know, it's already here to some degree. We should put the guardrails in now because if we try and do this in five years, it, it'll really be a hot button topic because these will be all over the place. Yeah, yeah, that, that's okay. right. Well, uh, I want to move to a little bit of the political, uh, you know, world now, Senator. If you don't mind, uh, you 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 took a pretty hard uh, stand back in the summer for Senate Bill One uh, in support of uh, life and protecting the unborn, and uh, and you got a little bit of pushback from your leadership. Um, and, and I, you know, I think people, it's important for people listening to this podcast, especially a lot of the Patriot America first kind of, uh, conservatives that probably, uh, dive into the Jesus, sex and politics podcast to know that there are, there are principled, uh, Republicans and conservatives that really are willing to buck, uh, leadership. Uh, and, and you did that this summer. Tell us a little bit about what was going on and, and you've kind of, you've kind of got your hand slapped a little bit, which I think is just a, it's a battle. It's a. It's a battle scar that's worth, uh, you know, standing strong on. I think it's uh, it's impressive. So, yeah, uh, you, let yeah, take us back to the summer and kind of the the fighting that you kind of had to endure when it came to standing for life. Well, the 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 discussion, the politics of it, actually goes back into um, early last year um, while we were in session, February, March, um, and that was there was a push at the time that we should preempt what was released by the federal, um, well, by the Supreme Court, 
that uh, Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned. So in, in essence, we should create laws that would automatically go into effect once that was announced. And in lieu of that, what we elected to do as legislators is say, if that is overturned, we, we ask the governor to call us back into session. And of course, we had a little bit of a perfect storm where we had that, and then we also had the huge reserves, which triggered the um, constitutional refund and how we were going to manage that. So we kind of had a dual purpose of coming back this year and um, the in the summer. And so the uh, the life issue was the one, um, you know, that certainly carried a lot of consternation. I mean, there's always a challenge of how you're going to distribute to $1.2 billion. But, uh, you know, so we just did that with the refund that we did. But on the life issue, um you know, it's something, I mean, for me, it was just second nature. I grew up, um, you know, practicing it through my faith and um, then, you know, kind of espousing that through my through my marriage and our family that, uh, you know, we were just advocates for life and, you know, in every form and fashion. And, you know, as, as you get into the political world, you, you support those organizations that support life and they support you and, and um, you know, you sign up on pledges and, and, and what have you. Um, but, uh, you know, when you think back on that, in the marches, my, my kids have gone to D.C. oh eight ten twelve 10, 12 times on the March for Life. And uh, my daughter formed a, a program at her university called Pregnant in School, um, where school kids, college kids supported kids that got uh, pregnant um, and, and encouraged them to keep the life instead of um, taking the other way out. And so... Um, it, it really was a clash of this is that moment. This is that time in history. 50 years um, of Roe v. Wade was overturned, and we were at the precipice of making decisions on what that's going to look like in the state of Indiana. And, um, you know, we, we bobbled it a little bit at the beginning. We had some ideas that uh, – kind of got put on the back burner and we brought some other ideas forward. And so for many of us, the legislation that was proposed was not um, preferred. So there was a lot of effort to influence that, amend that, and make it better. And um, we kind of, we, what formed out of that was a, a group that we called kind of a life caucus. And, and with that, we voted for the most conservative amendments to try and make it um you know, to, to espouse what we believe Indiana stands for. And that's, you know, a, a, the most right to life state in the, in the union. And, um, we struggled, we struggled. There was some moderation of that and, and that's fine. That's debate. That's what the policy and politics is all about. And, um, there was a moment where, um, the legislation that was before us was, uh, and was singularly offered in the Senate, I should say. So if it died in the Senate, the whole, the whole opportunity to pass a life bill was dead. And so there was a moment in the Senate where it was down to one vote, two votes. Oh, and uh, there was a group of us that had voted for an amendment and failed. But there was no, there would be no opportunity for that bill to pass without us. And so um, I, I had helped with a few others broker uh, uh a conversation and broker an opportunity with leadership to move the legislation forward um, with a few conditions. And with that, we did, we moved it out of the Senate 
one of the last amendments in the House was an amendment that we had proposed from the Senate as we had asked. And um, that's why we have any form of a life bill today. Mm. And, um, and it's still not what many of us would wanted, but uh, in lieu of what happened in the Plains, it was important for us as the first state to struggle with this legislatively to put something forward. And uh, hopefully we can get this resolved in the courts soon. Um, there likely will be some um, other things need to be done to tighten it up or correct it through the uh, legal challenges. But uh, we've certainly been down this path with some of the restrictions and other things we'd um, passed through the years. So it was, um, it was a very contentious time. It was a very, very a lot of very raw emotions amongst the members. Um, of the, many, of the very, Republican Party, right? Like, I mean, really, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, um, it was, uh, you know, the challenge of our most intimate spiritual faith, um, our moral faith, um, representing our constituents, um, and, and just, I, I'd never been in a moment like that. It was just really crazy. It was, um, and in the end, it was very peaceful. And it, it was like, it, 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 for all the complexity and all the, the stress and consternation, for me at the end, it got very easy. It's like, this is why I'm here. Mm. This is why I am here in this moment. And I've said that from day one, when I first ran for office, you know, if I can't stand for life, it doesn't matter what other, the other 500 bills we offer are because it'd be there. Well, the declaration uh, of independence says life, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So if you don't get the life issue right, you're never going to get the liberty or the pursuit of happiness piece right. And so I think that's, you're spot on. And now, did you, did you receive a, like, I mean, you received a little bit of backlash though from leadership for standing up in the life caucus. You said there were how many members of the, the life caucus that were formed and you guys kind of went against leadership because leadership was, we just want, we don't want any conflict. We just want to get this thing behind us. It, it, to me, no, I don't, I don't think it's a fair representation really. Well, I mean, we tell, okay, well tell, let me, let me say this though, from my perspective, from my perspective, it looked like either leadership really didn't have strong pro-life convictions uh, or they were afraid to stand on those strong pro-life convictions because of the uh, the amount of vitriol that was being thrown their way by the left. Uh, so that's how, that's how it looked from the outside looking in. I know I've talked to hundreds of conservative Hoosiers around the state, and they they agree. Like whether that was true on the inside, Senator, the perception was that we have really weak leadership in the Senate. So yeah, give us your take on that. Well, I think I think they were trying to do what leadership has to do, and they they had to foster a bill through. And I'm not sure that the the conservatives, with the most conservative version of the bill, had the majority. And that's you know it's unfortunate, um, but uh, you know they they were trying to find a way. And um, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, the left was so noisy, was so brash and abusive. You were there. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> It was fun. The, the, it was, <laughs> the, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was interesting. I mean, the one day we walked out, there was a tunnel of state police that we walked under. And then the, the, the other time we walked out, there were three of us. We had a state trooper on each shoulder that walked us out to the parking lot. They had drones flying all around the Capitol and security all the way to our cars and exiting the, um, the um, property. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, 
that that was unlike anything you'd ever seen. And it and it wasn't it, it just wasn't a civil dialogue. It wasn't a disagreement and, and you could never sit down and reason through the issue. I mean they were spitting and Cuss, I mean they were banging yeah, the cussing. Yeah. The top. Yep. I mean it it was just it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. It was I, got, so I got incredible. flipped off when I was walking through there. I'm not even a legislator. And that people were like, there's that pastor, you know, F you, pastor man. <laughs> like, it was hilarious. I was, I just smiled and blew them all kisses and told, you know, so as I walked by, which made him even more mad, but, you know, so. <laughs> um, there, were, there were other things. And I mean, when you, when we talk about that, that, that kind of security and that kind of environment, you know, did, does not just does not just happen. I mean, that was what leadership had to communicate and coordinate through as well as the, obviously the duty of, um, you know, working through legislation. So, I mean, it was, it was just a incredibly, um, tough time and, uh, you know, difficult time. And, and it, it was difficult, you know, more difficult for some than others. And, you know, I will say initially I was, I don't know what I was conflicted about, but I'm like, wow, this is going to be hard. This is going to be hard. And, and as I settled down and found some peace and some prayer through um, the first few days, it was like, no, this is easy, Andy. This is easy. You were voting for life. And that's why you came here. And that's what you told people you would come here to do. And that's what it's all about. Because it's about, it's not, it's not about my time. And it's not even about being a senator. It's about what's next. Yeah. And how can leave a better future to our children. And so I think, um, you know, that, that became very clear with me and I, and I don't think it did with others and, and they had to struggle through, you know, their own reasoning and reasons and, and issues. And, you know, I, I see the perception thing you're talking about and, um, you know, that happens every year and particularly towards we, when we get towards society die. But, uh, you know, I, I, it wasn't, uh, I don't know. I don't know that it was fractured and that it was perceived, we got to the end. We got it done. There was a there was a sigh, and um, the the tough part I think will possibly be bringing it back and, and fixing it if we have to, depending on what the courts rule, or if it if what we have even in statute is, is strong enough to make an impact. Yeah. Um, because we're, right now we're in a position where we are um, killing I think it was nine to twelve thousand babies a year, mm. and that's, that's changed because there's been a stay on that, and we have organizations here promoting that, profiting on that. And, um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't know that that's a business that the state should be in supporting. As Christians, you know, so many times, kind of like what you're, what you're explaining, I, I, I just kind of think of Esther, you know, who, who knows whether you came to this position for such a time as this. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm sure that you feel a weight of responsibility that, hey, before the Lord, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to do what I can. You can't always get to where you want to be. Um, but I think sometimes for those of us who are very conservative and we want to see, you know, abortion eradicated um, because we, we think it's a curse upon the nation. When mm-hmm. people settle into a certain place where they say, okay, well, after this many weeks, we declare it a child and okay, we're well, heartbeat bill or whatever that is. When we, as conservatives, as Republicans, go and say, okay, here's where we've, we've gotten to. Do you find that we get stuck there? Like, do you, do you see us making more headway to, to move the people socially towards a, a pro-life position? Or do you think that that's going to be the new standard 
you can get away with this level of pro-life and, and, and be okay? Or will we continue to get, this is our next major battle. We're going to go after it by another two weeks here. We're going to go until we, we rid this thing. I mean, I mean, if you look back at, at slavery and the black Republican party, that that's what it was originally called, you know, they're fighting back They're They're looking for small changes that they can make. But eventually right. they know we've got to go full bore. It's got to get even, you know, even more severe in destroying this wickedness upon the nation. You know, so where do you see it strategically? How do we how, how do we go from where we are, which is maybe a whole lot better than a lot of the nation, to where we really want to get to and never losing the fight of total eradication of abortion? Well, strategically, I see it this way, and it's, it's a problem of the Republican Party, I would say, and um, holistically. And I mean, we've accomplished a lot of great things as a Republican Party, particularly here in the state of Indiana. But the the problem is, in some in some regard, is if everyone's looking at us, us being the state legislature, government as an answer, you're looking the wrong direction. And we can put words on a paper and pass legislation and pass laws. And even if this clears all the courts and comes back, it won't a hundred percent eradicate the opportunity to kill life. It doesn't do that, but it puts extreme guardrails on it, which will drastically minimize that. But what I believe the challenge is, is I've shared with my, many of my friends in the uh, life community. I said, now is the day. Now is the time. You have the winds at your back. We have tried to create that opportunity for you as a state legislature, but now is the time to be pro-life. And we don't need to show just that we support having babies, that we support supporting mothers, supporting birth, and looking at things like our maternal health rate our, our, and um, taking care of our children as they're, as they're born. And, it's the societal shift that we need to speak to, that we need to continue to influence and change and where it just becomes a completely unacceptable idea to kill life. And I think that's what honestly got us to the moment to be able to do that. But now we need to double down and say, we don't support life here. We support life to its greatest opportunity and greatest ability to be a productive part of society. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I love that. I love the idea that, you know, government is not the answer. I, you know, a lot of times it's, you guys are the ones that are codifying what is, what is acceptable, unfortunately, uh, you know, but the church needs to take a major step forward. It's just that we're hearing things now were never said when I was a kid. The idea of infanticide, straight up, a baby lives through the abortion, we'll kill him on the other side. We didn't get him in the womb, but we'll, we'll make sure that we finalize what the mother wants or, or wanted and the doctor approved of. Like, we're at a new level of wickedness. When we hear these things coming from other states and you're like, holy cow, at what point do they slam up? you know, a mallet into a two-year-old's head. You, you literally, you know, had, like uh, we, we are like, it's nuts. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of people 
for those of us that are in the church and in church leadership and we're calling out sin, hey, this is not God's position. God stands very firm on on where life begins. Like when when government stands and says something that is not in alignment with what God says, the people many times accept whatever the government says and not what the Lord has said. So so we're battling going, yeah, well when we gave that far We've now set a precedent for that. So I, I mean, I, I gather and agree with what you're saying. We, we do have the wind in our back in certain states. In other states, man, it looks like we are fighting an well, major uphill battle. You have, you have guys like even uh, Governor, uh, Blackface Governor Ralph Northam, who was the governor of Virginia up until uh, uh, we just uh, yunkin won, right? And he even was on the radio saying infanticide is an okay venture to go down if if a baby's born and you didn't want it you tried to abort the baby you can kill the baby up to a certain amount of hours high-fiving everybody when they got it passed well that was in new york that was uh andrew cuomo and those guys i mean so there's certainly there's a level of demonic activity that we've probably not not seen to your point and so you know senator you are very uh you you know you're kind of on that that front line of the uh of the battle here trying to uphold what god says is right and so I think that peace maybe that you felt in the summer was the Lord's spirit just kind of resting on you and saying, Hey, I got you. You're doing, you're doing what's right. And, uh, and you know, I think that's the, that, that was the, that was awesome. I appreciate you standing. Yeah, amen. Truth. Praise the Lord. And, um, well, and think about that at a little bit of another level. I mean, you guys are talking it about it on a broader level where you're comparing and contrasting states. So what another thing that kind of bothered me throughout some of the debate was some of the public pushback and that uh, killing life was going to hurt our economy, <laughs> that business would not want to be here and industries wouldn't want to be investing in the state of Indiana and some states even went so far to ban us and do different things like that. And it's like, what if we show that being a pro-life state works? What if we show that people want to come here and get educated? What if we show that we love life and that we're getting people employed and they're, they're, you know, coming to Indiana to play and pray and be a part of our communities? What if that, what if that, what if that defines us in a positive way and people are moving here because of that? Um, I think you'll see a, again, a, a, a swale of, of people wanting to jump on that ship wanting to jump on board with that. And it's like, you know, if that's your attitude about how you feel about people, how do you feel about people in the workplace? So you can just dispose of them. Yeah. Yep. And that's not our attitude here. Yep. And you know, and I think it was wrong of some of our bigger industries that try and identify us in that, in that capacity, you know, and that's where we, we get caught up with, you know, you know, one person's feelings and a, you know, a few people's feelings in a, in a broader context. This is, this is big stuff and it's important because you are creating a culture and we're trying to create that culture here in Indiana. And yeah, we're setting the tone, you know, kind of going back to the, the beginning of this part of our conversation, we're setting the tone by trying to create the right policy, but we can't, we can't impact this on the streets. We can't impact this in the church. That's up to every one of us. And that's where we need to create the movement. And as we do that, you know, I, I think, you know, I just, I believe in that. I, I just I think it's so affirming and I think it's just a, a positive a positive way. I mean, just in general. <laughs> what's more uplifting? Talking about life and livelihood 
or death and darkness. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I just think as a state, we stand from life and it, it just means the world. Yeah, that's good. Got well, Senator, I, again, thank you so much for uh, just being a bold voice and, and standing for truth, even when it seems like you sometimes you're outnumbered. But, uh, you know, you got our our support here in the church world and and uh, and we want we want to let people know to, you know, reach out to your senators and your representatives and let them know that when they're standing for truth, that you're with them, because a lot of times, you know, you hear you hear from the naysayers when they're upset at you, but you never hear from a lot, of which usually is the majority of people. You never hear from the majority of people when you're doing things that that are good. And, and it can it, you can live in this world where all you hear is negative voices. It begins to gaslight you and to think that you're probably you, maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're maybe you're the only one out there. And so if you're listening to this, you know, send your uh, send your reps and your senators uh, some encouraging notes when they when they do take tough stances. Stands, uh, for truth and and they are getting blasted out there so uh, yeah. yeah so and, like, and yeah. know this uh every saturday morning there's people that are praying for you guys yep praying for you by name you know here at life church because uh we believe that you guys are called to what you're doing and it's 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 no small thing for you to represent us and 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 represent you know what the lord wants in this world you know, thy kingdom come and thy thy will be done. And so I just want to thank you for, you know, being right down there in the midst of the trenches and fighting for us and, and fighting for what the Lord wants. Thank you for yeah. doing that. And Andy, where can people go to find out more about you and, uh, you know, just kind of shoot you some encouraging messages? And uh, what, uh, what, what uh, website do you have? Uh, where can people go? Well, I have a campaign website, andyjay.com, where you can check in with some of my uh, um, more impersonal or, or more personal stuff, I should say. And then of course the official site, uh, Indiana, um, the Indiana Senate page. And, uh, you can uh, pull my, pull my page up there as well. So either way is a great way to um, get a hold of me. And, um, you know, we've, we've just touched on a few topics today, but the breadth of issues that we face is, is so broad. And so any issue or anything you have an opinion or comment or want more feedback on, please feel free to reach out. Um, anytime. And uh, I have a policy in my office of 48 hours. If you get with me, I get back with you within 48 hours. Doesn't mean I have an answer and doesn't mean I have an answer that you want to hear, but um, I'm happy to dig into it a little bit deeper and uh, try and help you out and um, navigate the issues that, uh, you know, are, are all around us. Awesome. Well, Andy uh, Zay, Senator from up north in Indiana, uh, what district is your district, the Huntington uh, district that you represent? What number is that? I'm District 17. I represent Huntington, Wabash, and Grant counties. All right. So there you go. So awesome. if you're in those areas, this is your uh, senator and uh, reach out to him. I think it's impressive. You got a 48 hour return uh, policy. I, I I don't even do that. I, I, probably, <laughs> I probably need to get better at that myself. So uh, that's that's good. I I, I can uh, you know you're you're I feel the conviction right now. So uh, yeah, but. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in, listening to uh, Jesus, Sex, and Politics. Uh, Nathan, What? thanks for being here and what, talking what, about... Are you trying to write me out of the show? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, good. This yeah. is where we talk about all those things that culture doesn't want to talk about. That will scare you. Stay tuned. We got some more great episodes in the next uh, month to come. We'll see you guys next time.